Hey everybody, welcome to the Fear the Fincast. I'm Jacob Sundstrom uh, with Marcus White, co-managing editors of fearthefin.com. Uh, we're going to talk about game one of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, against we're the talking Eagles. about it on April 13th, 2017. Head to it. God, you're so you're so touchy now with the date. Do you want to give them what the time is too? It's 10:39 p.m. That's Pacific time. Sorry, folks. God. Jesus Christ! It's April 13th. It's going to be April 14th by the time we're done with it. If Marcus has his way, yes. Um, yeah, the micromanagitis here is uh, really just it's off the charts. Uh, yeah, so uh, one game to none in this uh, first round series against the Oilers, thanks to Melker Carlson in part, uh, scored that overtime winning goal. Well, let's, let's 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 talk about that. Yeah, I, I, I think the, uh, I think um, you know you you touched on it a little bit. Some things to be concerned about, but also some very encouraging signs i think uh i tweeted it last night but that was the uh you know what i hope we look back on as the tomash hurdle game as kind of the game where he arrived um and it's only one game but i mean the way he's played down the stretch and the way he's played he played last night you got to think that's a guy that you know the, the sharks you know the have as a as a center he is well suited for that style and you know he may not ever score you know, more than 40 to 50 points, but he has value in what he does and what he did last night. He had a great game. Hanson, Hurdle, Bodker continue to be the Sharks' best line. Um, you know, fourth line was excellent last night. Really, I think the the thing that surprised me most last night was that, you know, they were able to neutralize McDavid to an extent. He's, McDavid still had, you know, still played very well against a lot of the Sharks players in terms of possession, and we'll, we'll talk about that, you know, kind of who he – who he did and did not struggle against, um, you know, did very well against Vlasic, did even better against Braun. We'll touch on that. But, you know, the, if they where I think this series will swing for San Jose, and, you, you know, you and I both picked Edmonton, but I think the series can swing for San Jose is if the Sharks, you know, can relatively neutralize McDavid and then they just say, all right, Edmonton, now it's time for your depth to beat ours. Um, the Sharks are still a deeper forward uh, have a deeper forward group and a deeper defensive group uh, than the Oilers. Um, and they proved that last night. The fourth line was excellent. Um, the third line with Patrick Marlowe centering it between Joel Ward and Jonas Donskoy was excellent as well. Um, some positives for sure, but definitely some concerning signs. But I was thrilled to see them get the OT winner last night. I'll, I'll say that much. Definitely definitely had a few fist pumps as they uh, as I tweeted. One in transition, just like we all predicted. Yeah, I think that there's definitely some – I wrote about, obviously, Tomas Hurdle, which is the biggest bright spot for the Sharks, and there's definitely some concerning things, um, you know, Connor McDavid being one of them. You know, he had a breakaway that Martin Jones stopped. Um, uh, there's obviously some other concerning things. Uh, the Sharks had – You a short-handed breakaway. Yep. Um, and then there was a breakaway right at the end of a short, a shorthanded, uh, right at the end of a penalty kill. Um, I think it was, maybe it was Griba. I can't remember who it was that had that, right. that breakaway right at the end of a, a shorthanded opportunity. 
Listen, the Sharks played well in terms of possession, at least near the end of the game. Um, they didn't play that well possession-wise for the first, I think, half of the game. Um, they were fine, you know what? And I think that's basically what they're going to have to be able to do is just play fine and play at the margins and just kind of take advantage of the opportunities that they're given. And I think that they did that. They scored a power play goal. That was Joe Ward. Um, who got an assist from Eunice Donskoy. And I think really what you saw was depth guys play really well in this game. And I think, uh, quite frankly, what I think what we saw was that guys that have played well, at least in my opinion, all year, scored. Um, I think Joel Ward has had a fine season, hasn't scored. Eunice Donskoy has had a fine season, but hasn't found his way under the score sheet. Um, Tomas Hurdle is a guy that's played well this season. Uh, but, you know, through injury, obviously, and just hasn't really found its way out of the score sheet. Uh, Milker Carlson has played well this season. It isn't really a guy we expect to necessarily get on the score sheet that often just because he plays on the fourth Frankly, line. Frankly, one of the depth fours that I think met expectations this year. Well, that's right. Exactly. That He's a little bit of a different story. Uh, you know, Mark Edward Vlasic got two points this year, um, mostly despite me for t- uh, talking so much shit about him this year in terms of uh, how shitty he is in terms of scoring because he but, is. But two great, I mean, two great, the dump into to Don Scoy on the power play, that was a super smart play. And then the, the outlet pass as the Oilers were changing up to Pavelski, another very smart play. Like, you know, Vlasic can struggle, but if he can still has the potential to make. Like, he's such a smart player. He can still make those plays in spite of his struggles. Anyway, continue. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, what Vla- that's the kind of play Vlasic makes well. The bad Vlasic play is the Vlasic thinks he can shoot. Offensive right. play. Great Vlasic is Vlasic secondary shoot score play. Vlasic is a great example of why the secondary assist is a good stat. Um, I don't think it is, but Vlasic is a good example. If you wanted to make a counter-argument for why the secondary assist is a good stat, you would point to Mark Edward Vlasic. Um, I don't think it's a great stat, but Mark Edward Vlasic would be a great counter-argument to that. Um, bad Vlasic is, oh man, hey look, it's Vlasic at the center, at kind of the center of the blue line taking another shot that's almost assuredly going to get blocked and turn into a breakaway going the other way. Uh, not really the point of what I'm getting at here, but you know that what he did in game one is really a good example of what what he can do in terms of offense. Yeah, uh, when he keeps it simple is when he's at his best in the offensive zone, and I think yep. I think you saw that frankly on the second unit power play last night, which looked really good for stretches. Vlasic wasn't trying to do too much; he wasn't trying to be the the sole offensive creator, and some of that was because he was playing with Burns. But even when he was playing with Schlemko, he was just He's a great passer. He can get rid of the puck quickly. And when he gets it in the stick, on the sticks of guys who can make plays, good things happen. And I think you saw that last night. Yep. Um, where he wasn't so good, and, you know, I, I don't mean this to be necessarily a, a default Vlasic so much as it's, it's, it's when him and Braun were, were tasked yeah. with shutting down McDavid. Um, they got a lot of minutes – against McDavid in game one, and they didn't really do a very good job of shutting him down. Um, McDavid didn't really find his way onto the score sheet, but he had opportunities, and I think that's something that's going to continue to be a factor throughout this series. Um, that's something also Tomas Hurdle obviously had a, had a factor in, and, and her, while Hurdle did a really good job, in my opinion, of shutting McDavid down and neutralizing him, 
Um, Braun and Vlasic, as much as has been the case all season, did not do a good job of slowing him down at all. What did you think about what the Sharks did to slow down McDavid? And uh, what do you think is going to be kind of a key to slowing that guy down for the rest of the series? I think uh, I think the times they kind of they caught him were uh, when they had you know they had chances where you know the two of them maybe uh, if they had success against McDavid it was when he was caught out long. I'm specifically thinking of a shift. I want to say it was in the second period when Tomas Hurdle, Hanson, and Bodker were just cycling the puck relentlessly against the McDavid line, and then the Sharks got a change and got the Marlowe line on and still maintained possession. Um, I don't think the two of them were great against him. And I think the, the, the possession numbers certainly bear that out in terms of head to head and also on the pairs possession numbers as a whole, um, you know, hurdle Hanson, even Couture as themselves had, you know, some possession success. And I think the forward, I think the Couture line and the hurdle line are suited to go against McDavid. I just don't think Vlasic and Braun as a pairing are providing enough help and support. And I don't know what the Sharks should do. I'm, I'm kind of looking at the, the with or without you numbers right now. You know, we talked about it before the show. Burns and Vlasic have had a lot of success together in terms of puck possession. They've only played about 66 minutes together. But, you know, I still think it's, it's worth noting compared to the lack of success that Braun and Vlasic have had together. I, I think – Frankly, it's not sustainable to keep McDavid off the score sheet if you allow the kind of chances you allowed him last night with those lines. Overall, though, I think I think the Sharks, you know, what was McDavid? I think he was like a 51% uh, Corsi 4 percentage. Yeah, that's something and I thought. If you could hold him to that, even if Vlasic and Braun are struggling, that's a secondary concern. But if, if McDavid is held to that for the series, I think the Sharks take their, you know, they, they like their chances. Granted, he's so effective and so good that 52% possession or 51% possession may be all he needs. Um, but against certainly against the Vlasic and Braun line, I don't think him being kept off the score sheet is sustainable given how poorly they played against him. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that, um, well, obviously you'll take that, that kind of possession numbers. I think the thing is that he was still able to get high-quality chances. Yes. I think that's really the biggest concern for the Sharks is that even with those mediocre possession numbers that he's still able to get those really high-quality shots on goal, um, that's something the Sharks are going to want to look out for. Um, I don't really think there's anything the Sharks can do to neutralize that going forward. Nor do I, I. Think, I think that that's something that you pointed out really well, though, was that what the Sharks were able to do when they were able to really neutralize him was to, to have those long shifts um, and I thought really what the sh- when the Sharks were at their best was then be able to have the, keep the Edmonton Oilers in long, sh- long defensive zone shifts. And I think they were able to do that a couple of different times. Um, I think really the biggest thing there is that they're just able to keep long offensive zone pressure, which just kind of tires out the Oilers. Um, I think, listen, Tom McClellan talked about this, is that they were able to keep the Oilers um, in the defensive zone. I think part of that has to do with kind of the youthfulness of the Oilers roster where they think that they can keep going on with these longer shifts than they're actually physically capable of doing. And I think that that has to do with kind of a, uh, just the, kind of, I don't know, 
yeah, just it's just the youthfulness of the roster. You know, it's I think you know. Listen, Pete DeBoer talked about this when you have guys like Timo Meyer and Kevin LeBanc on the roster. It's just junior shifts. Yeah. Um, where they think that they can get away with longer shifts than get away with. And listen, if you take an extra five, 10 seconds on your shifts and you miss a change, you can get stuck out there for a really, really long time. And I think that the Sharks have taken advantage of that. And I think they did take advantage of that in that really long shift um, that ended up making the possession numbers look a lot sexier for the Sharks. And I think that they were probably fairly ended up being, um, which, you know, whatever, who cares? and I think that that was probably a factor last night. I think McDavid ended up getting uh, beaned for a lot of uh, negative possession numbers on that. And I think Brent Burns was a, a factor there. Yeah, um, and Bert, you tweeted it today. Burns had a lot of success in very limited minutes against Connor McDavid. And, you know, certainly in terms of skating ability, there are a few guys on the Sharks and one on the ice against McDavid than uh, Brent Burns. Brent Burns is obviously one of the best skaters on the Sharks, and I don't think that. So, I it, to me, what I what I take from that is that Brent Burns is one of the best skaters on the Sharks from an offensive standpoint. So, when I think about Brent Burns moving into the offensive zone against Connor McDavid, obviously that's a huge advantage. But going the other way, that's obviously a disaster waiting to happen. So, when, that's when I, the way I think of it is. If you've got a situation where Connor McDavid is hemmed into the defensive zone and the Sharks already have kind of a cycle going, it burns out there on awesome. the ice, yeah. right? And you and you don't have and you have something going. Yeah, um, that that's something that the Sharks should take advantage of, and I think Pete DeBoer is a smart enough guy to make that happen. Obviously, you got it going the other way. Um, that's a disaster waiting yeah. to happen. And I know that happened once where Connor McDavid made Brent Burns look very silly, obviously. And um, I know the you know USA broadcasters, which is who I'm listening to in Southern California because you know I'm, I'm out of mar- market. I'm um, commented on, oh, Brent Burns, such a great skater, and Connor McDavid skated right, right around him. And it's like, I, well, I, don't think, I agree. He's not a, I wouldn't say he's a great back skater. <laughs> He's not a great back skater. It's like, well, yes, he's a great skater skating forwards. I think. Um, I think he's not. He's not bread and butter defender. Beat in terms of gap control. Right. Um, it's like, well, yeah. It's like, listen, guys. Um, I know that you think he's a great skater, and so as such, because he plays defense, he's a great skater skating backwards. But um, do some homework. He's not a great skater skating backwards. You know, it's really not that difficult to. He- Look at some game tape. Do you think it's worth it for the Sharks? To, I don't think they will do it, but I think it's it's interesting, a hypothetical nonetheless. Given Vlasic and Braun struggles together, I mean Martin and Martin and Burns killed it in their minutes. Schlemko and Dylan killed it in theirs. Is it worth breaking up the pairings and then trying to find a more equitable distribution? Or I think it is or, absolutely. Or, I, I or at it, this point I would bring. I would put. I would though, If you say, okay, you know what? We'll try Vlasic and Braun against him, and we're probably going to hemorrhage shots. But our first and our other two pairings are going to be so good that we might be able to make up for it. No, I would. I would. I would at least try Vlasic and Burns together, and then I would do. Because um, I do have some, I have some interesting with or without use and potential possibilities, but it leaves a goal scorer from last night out as the odd man out. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I would at least try doing Vlasic and Burns together because it's very clear to me that Vlasic and Braun doesn't work. So Vlasic and Burns is a pairing. And here, try these hypotheticals on for size. I was just on Puckalytics looking at with okay. numbers and who did well together. In okay. very limited minutes, we're talking barely over 20, Schlemko and DeMello, 
over 50% possession, right? Okay. And that leaves your second pairing in a little, I want to say they had about 40 minutes together, Dylan and Justin Braun together. Right, right, so around, saying, 50, right around 53% saying, possession. You're saying scratch Paul Martin. Or you put Paul Martin next to David Slumko. Okay. What do you think of those? How would you, if you're going to break up the defense, how would you, because Vlasic and Burns together seems to be the, like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to let Vlasic right. kind of fill the Martin role next to Burns and then see how they do against the Tufts. And then maybe maybe distribute the tough assignments a little more equitably where you're not line matching. How would you then make the bottom two pairings? I mean, at that point, then I put Braun and um, – yeah, I mean, I would do – so if you're doing Vlasic and Burns together, then I would do uh, – uh, I certainly would not put DeMello into the lineup. There's right. no situation where he draws into the lineup. So Martin, Martin and Schlemko and then Braun and Dylan? Yeah, I guess so. Because, I mean, because, you know, Mart, if you're thinking about it, I think that would be, if you're going to break up the pairing, I think that'd be pretty ideal because Schlemko can kind of give you the poor man's Brent Burns playing with Paul Martin, and that dynamic seems to work of the steady stay-at-home guy kind of freeze up. And I think I think Dylan's made enough strides in his in his game this year that he can maybe ha- he can handle playing with Braun a little bit and maybe maybe seeing some tougher assignments. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Now, how do you how would you distribute the usage of ice time? How would you distribute the usage of the players? Would you just would you hard match Braun and Braun and or excuse me Burns and Vlasic against Connor McDavid, or would you maybe split it up a little more? I mean, to me, I think the biggest thing is that I would just try to. I, I don't think I would do any hard matching at that point. I think at this point, I would just try to try to see what I works. Would, I don't even. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know if it's worth worth hard matching at this point. Especially, I mean, I guess in the first game on the road, I would just kind of try to see where it works and just kind of feel out right. what the what the deal is. Um, and then maybe once you get to it, the, it's next game. You've already won a game on the road. You've already got the right. split. And if it works and you get two, like, I mean, you're already playing with house money at this point. That would be my only thought as to why you can adjust. And then if it doesn't work, you go back to what worked in game one. The thing is, is that... Uh, Obviously, this is all hypothetical because clearly Pete DeBoer DeBoer's is not, not going to do, do it. Yeah, because DeBoer's too fucking stupid to realize well, that Braun and what he said last year in the work. Cup final, we're going to go, we're going to go with who we went with to the dance. You know what I mean? Even though your date to the dance is like has didn't say yes and has left you, you're still right. trying to go with them. That's the right. analogy. Yeah, um, the the analogy here is that your date has said, "Oh wow, actually, I actually." I'm not going with you. I'm actually going with actually this other guy. And uh, I never liked you. And I hate you. And in fact, I've actually been sleeping with your best friend for weeks. Right. The really weird thing. Oh, and your, we and, and, we were going and your top two centers are injured. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, yikes. This is really weird for you. It's not weird for me. It's weird for you, though. So, Speaking I'm of that, go. how do you think Logan Couture played last night? Um, I'm actually going to agree with a friend of the blog, TM, Kevin Kurz, and say uh, you're going to agree with Lunga Churi. He sucked last night. <laughs> Play like crap. You think he got better he as sucked. the game went along? No. No, he didn't. Did he? 
I think he looked it looked like he'd missed he was coming back and dealing with a pretty significant injury. Yeah, I would say. I, yeah. I would say that he there were a lot of there were a lot of times and I don't want to speculate on if he's shying away from contact. I'm just gonna say what I saw. There were times where it looked it looked like he maybe felt the pressure, and I'm specifically thinking on the power play. And he kind of like he threw a lot he threw a lot more blind backhand passes last night than I'm used to seeing him make, especially on the power play. Uh, a couple of really you know bad turnovers. Like? Yeah, he looked like Joe Thornton out there. Yeah, with some he of the passes. Like he looked like an um, idiot. I think he had I think he had some, you know, I think his best moment was probably when Marlowe threw a pass and Couture had to catch it on his backhand and then he had enough time and he cranked a shot and of course he hit the crossbar because that's just that's the Sharks. Like that's their Well that's their oh, if, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Logan Couture in the uh was it the what season was that? Was it the twenty thirteen, fourteen season where he just had like that awful streak of bad luck where he just yeah. had like the yeah. God yes. awful yes. bad shooting percentage. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and people were just, like, "What's wrong with Couture?" And we're like, "He's." People are like, "He's fine. He's just struggling. He's just slumping." And then he had uh, that, like, just like like a, a a shooting percentage in like the five or six percent type range, and it was like, "Yeah, right. That that sounds about right." So, what did you think yeah. of his line as a whole? Then, whole oh, was fine, I guess. Um, I mean, listen, it it they treaded water, right? Um, they didn't play McDavid all that often because uh, Tom McClone was too stupid to actually line match against it um, because Tom McClone's an idiot, apparently. He was smart enough to put McDavid out there against Chris Tierney quite a bit. Uh, that's true. Although not as much as he should have, I felt like. No. like I felt like Tom McClone had opportunities to play it more against Chris Tierney. Yeah. And he kind of like... No, he played, he played McDavid at even strength last night, played four minutes and 27 seconds against Logan Couture and had 40% puck possession against Couture. Uh, surpri- that number surprises me a little bit. Uh, Joe Pavelski was 44.4, one less shot attempt than what he had against Couture. I'd imagine that was some of those long shifts, but four minutes against Chris Tierney, seven shot attempts, zero, zero shot attempts against. Um, yeah. So those were, those were the guys he did best against Brendan Dillon. Uh, did very well against two Timo Meyer. He had eighty five point seven, but only in you know in less than four minutes. I would guess if McClellan, and we'll 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 touch on this and seeing seeing McClellan from the opposite side in a playoff series because we had some laughs about that before the show. Um, if McClellan comes to his senses, he will play McDavid against Tierney tomorrow night. A lot. Um, but Tierney might not play enough minutes for him to play against Tierney exclusively. You know, it was a weird, it was a weird game. What a weird game. Yeah, t- we can. Yeah, I we think can that I Todd, think a big, a big, talk about how weird Todd's coaching decisions were and how fun it was to experience them as an opponent. Should we just go straight into that? I think first we should. We, in fairness, our play and penalty stuff played a big role in that. He changed the game completely. Because, listen, there were 11 minor penalties in last night's game, which is, first of all, three more than there were in that the Sharks and Oilers played in this year. Yeah. Chris Tierney plays in uh, only in the penalty kill because God hates us and won't let him play we'll in the power play. Because 
freaking idiot, and yeah. so is Steve Spot. Yeah, which is fine. It's fine. I'm not mad about it. They, I actually are, think are, it's, the, it's the actually funny to me. One of Jake or I may or may not have sent to the Sharks coaching staff have gone unreturned about Chris Tierney on the second unit power play. Although last night, I think the second unit power play was actually the better unit <laughs> than the top unit. We'll put him on the first unit, then yeah. goddammit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, until, they moved, until they moved Hurdle to the top unit. Then the top unit, it was like, whoa, like, where's this been? <laughs> yeah. Where have you been on my life? Yeah. Uh, actually, it was like, uh, yeah, it, I was uh, Princess Leia saying, I love you. Yeah. And uh, the top unit, the top unit was like, I, I know. know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was very aroused. But those penalties, we can't expect those penalties, that, that trend to continue. Yeah, I assume that uh, Tom McClone went into the locker room and took a big wet fish and just hit them over and over again. Uh, it's like, no more penalties. You I will say there is hope, though, for the Sharks because Milan Lucic, even though Milan he scored Lucic. two points last night, is doing the exact same thing he did last postseason against the Sharks and just getting baited into stupid what a, penalties. What a gigantic, stupid maroon. Oh, speaking of, uh, <laughs> they have one of those. I forgot. Uh, all right, let's talk about Tom McClellan, uh, yeah. who who got, in fairness, a gigantic raw deal in San Jose. Um, yes. Remember when? These two things could both two, be true. Right. He, remember when the San Jose media, such as it is, all three of them, uh, you know, more or less was willing to make him a scapegoat for uh, for what was Doug Wilson's fault. Well, yeah, uh, when Doug Wilson you know. gives him a, 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 a crap roster and says we're taking a step back and then they're expected to – I do think there were – Make think, the playoffs. I think there were, you know, in fairness, I do think it was a little bit of a case of both sides maybe being ready to move on. But I'm not sure if that's the case with the step back. I do think – if the Sharks don't take the step back, even after they blew that series, that, hey, you know, they maybe could deal with Todd's, you know, coaching for another year. But I think, again, speculative, speculation, I have no insight otherwise, but to, it seemed like, the, you know, okay, Todd's here, we're taking a step back. He's ex- there are these, The expectations of Todd didn't match the expectations of the roster. And I think that's where some of the frustrations came into play. But frankly, it seemed like most of the frustrations, at least from reports, were between the Sharks players and management, not necessarily between the coaching staff. It, it, it seemed to me like they probably should have just fired him after they the Kings. Yeah, that would they so, should have just brought in a fresh set of a fresh set of hands. Then, yeah, I would agree. And then it seemed like they did this whole thing where Doug Wilson fucked up the roster. Doug they were like. Oh, well, it's Todd McClellan's yeah. fault. And it's like, um, like no, it's not, actually. Like, Todd McClellan has serious faults as a coach, just like all coaches do. Yeah. yeah. But, but he didn't the, get a raw deal. That being said. He did. That being night, said, it's time to criticize Todd McClellan. And last I am night ready. Was, oh, boy. Last Ooh. night was like seeing... It was like it was it, it was all over again. Seeing the ghosts of Sharks playoff pasts, a slow start in a te- in a series against a team you have a higher seed than check, failing to utilize oh. your best players in the moments that require them. Like why McDavid didn't did McDavid play at all in overtime? Honestly, it it was just 
like it was like every criticism I've ever had of Tom McClellan come come Just to life. It showed last night, and last like night after that, uh, it was like that like awful dashboard confessional song, the "I Am Vindicated" song, come to life all in one one beautiful shining moment. You it's know, like, it was, I am it was, vindicated. Even though there were penalties, it was like you know Mark Letestu playing more at even strength than Connor McDavid at some points. Like Eric Griba coming to life right before our eyes. Yeah, Eric. I mean, Chris Russell remaining in the lineup. Like, of course. Well, I naturally. Mean, frankly, the frankly the Sharks. It like I want to look up Chris Russell. Like that guy is. I remember when Chris Russell had a stretch when he had like decent possession numbers. And like a bunch of Edmonton riders were like, "Oh well, actually, Chris Russell is uh, Advanced Stance darling now." And it's like, "No, he's not." Like, no, he's not. You what are you talking idiots. about? So the so the best so Chris Russell actually posted his best possession numbers against Joe Pavelski and Melker Carlson in four minutes and thirty three seconds. Everybody else he either treaded water against or was below fifty percent puck possession. Yeah, uh, the other line. guys that were bad. The Oilers Dak Cassian wasn't so good. Oh yeah, I mean that, and that's where the depth comes in. And the Oilers are limited, but again, this is Todd and the ugly head. They drafted Puljujarvi, and Puljujarvi he, he is a rookie, and I know he's he's played a lot in. I believe he's in, in Bakersfield right now. He might did he go back to junior or is he in Bakersfield? I think he's in Bakersfield. Draft this guy. Isn't he? Yeah, they draft this guy to basically you know, essentially makes Taylor Hall, you know, expendable long-term where they're like, okay, we got a, a top winger so we can trade Taylor Hall for a defenseman. Um, and then the guy plays in the minor leagues the whole time. And, now, and Patrick Maroon played awesome this year with Connor McDavid. Like, he has skilled options that he can turn to. But, again, Zach Cassian is playing. And Cassian's had a good year. But, like, it's, it's the – the, the the Oilers are very similarly constructed, frankly, to those early Sharks teams. You know, the the top six, hey, that might be the best top six in the league. The bottom six is not worth writing home about, and there's a significant there's significant holes in the top four defense and on, in the defense as a whole. I mean, frankly, if he if he just had played Griba and had scratched Chris Russell and had played Benning, and played Benning with Andre Sakara and then Darnell Nurse and Eric Griba. The Oilers are probably in a much better position, but Todd's irrationality is, and I, and I think it's a legitimate thing to consider. Like he is, like we've seen it. He's not. He can not at times be a not very good playoff coach. And I think, you know, we're already there's already word that Benning's going to draw in over Griba. But like, you know, we texted about it last night. He's talking about how the Sharks are making changes quicker than the Oilers last night, and it's like. It's like I I, I know they're a young team, but like you're the coach, like that's that's you. That's you're, literally your one job. Yeah, that's yeah. all you do. You're right there. That's what you do. I, what will you do? We're, <laughs> we're seeing it. It's it's fascinating. It is so fascinating to see from the other side. Him make these you know but of course he could always come to his senses and just say all right i'm gonna play connor mcdavid 30 minutes a night tonight like here's here's the biggest thing right is that connor mcdavid is is and and listen this is not hyperbole is going to be a better player than Sidney crosby in my opinion um Sidney crosby placed 
is and has the capability of playing something like 30 minutes a night. And he does it. All Tom McClellan has to do is do that. And the Sharks are probably toast. Um, I mean, if, if, I mean, what was, I'm going to look up Connor McDavid's stats from last night. Like, I mean, frankly, that in the playoffs, I'd expect him to play 22, 23 minutes a night as a forward. And that's probably what he played uh, during the regular season. But I'm, I'm filibustering here for uh, strategic. So he played, he played 21 minutes, 22 seconds last night. But I think that's a little bit probably thrown off with the, um, frankly, that's probably thrown off given the power play disparities. Um, and, yeah, so so he played 21 minutes. Crosby only played 19 minutes because, you know, they led the whole way. Right. And that's it. the Oilers um, also led a bunch last night, too. The thing is, is that it's just it's just incredible thinking that in, in, it's only a minute and a half, but that should be 23 minutes a night if they do a two goal lead and they need to get and they want to get a win. It's it's just baffling to me looking at these the way these distributed. Uh, it's that you know you look at this and McDavid has twenty one, Eugene Hopkins has twenty one, Drysaddle has nineteen, but then you get into this and Latestu has seventeen, Maroon sixteen, Lucic sixteen, but Everly only has fourteen, yeah. and then you get down to this and Dejardet has six. Well, like I, I understand that, but like, but again, that's but taught. Look- Mark Letestu right. is on their top power play unit. Like what? I, I don't know. I and like and you but you go down and uh you know you look at guys and like uh you know you go down on this list and guys like you know Pouliot and Pakarinen uh are on their top PK unit and those guys have eleven minutes and eight minutes and almost all those minutes are coming on their PK. And it's like, okay, those are guys you're giving almost no minutes, but all of those minutes are coming on their PK. And it's like, okay. Right. So you don't trust those guys with any minutes, but all of those minutes are coming in crucial scenarios. Right. And I don't really understand how that works from a coaching standpoint. It's like, okay, so you're saying you don't trust those guys at all, but well, you I trust think some guys only in crucial penalty. minutes. Like Chris Russell's value is like he's a he's a good penalty killer. Like he's a he's a drag on possession and even strength, but he is a good Penalty killer. I agree with you though that you could use, you can utilize and distribute your ice time better. But like, you know, Connor McDavid barely played more than Chris Russell last night. And again, they're different positions, defense and forward. Don't get me wrong, but like, I just, you know, twenty one twenty two isn't isn't that bad. But like, considering you know they went decently deep into overtime, like if I can recall, um, when was the goal in overtime? Okay, no, it was only three minutes then. But like, you know, so McDavid maybe played thirty seconds more. You know, I don't, I don't have a shift chart from overtime, but like, you know, if he's playing, if he's only playing like around twenty minutes in regulation, like that's not enough. He should be in the playoffs. You should, I mean, you know, the cliche goes, your best players have to be your best players. To me, the most startling thing is that the Sharks scored on four on four, and the Oilers didn't. That's baffling. Like when I saw this, they went to four on four. I was thinking, God, here's the moment that the Oilers yeah. take control of the game. The Sharks yeah. scored, and it was like, wow. And again, again, you know, Tomash Hurdle's Stop. out there against Chris Russell. Like, right. And, and then you know, I that goal. Paul was it Paul Martin who was in on the forecheck for some reason, and he just like 
for some he, reason, correct. He spooks, he spooks the Oilers defender to just making like a bad pass, but at the same time, Russell's not in the position that he needs to be behind the net uh, in order to provide help. And then Hurdle intercepts it and just bodies him to the net. Like that, I mean, I know Martin was there to plug in the loose change, which was awesome. Which is why. Why was Martin there? <laughs> but he's got good instincts. He read the play and saw, oh, like there's going to be a wide open puck here. Because Tomas, but how was Martin there? Who? Why wasn't somebody there covering Martin? Right. There were so many. There's so many questions the, there about the Oilers. Is like you know, I think. And I, I, was I don't, don't, don't so want to say that McClellan's a bad details coach because mm. I. But like I do. From what we've seen, from what we saw in San Jose, like those are some of the areas where they were lacking, like some of the de- more detailed components of their game, and with a young team like this, like. I think the I think the notion of experience is a little overblown, and DeBoer even said as much last night. He's like, I mean, our best players were our guys, some of the guys with the least playoff experience on the team. You know, uh, Tomas Hurdle really only had that you know that one run, and then a cup of coffee in the first round against the Kings. This is only Donskoy's second season. He was great last night. Timo Meyer has never played in a professional playoff game before in his life, and he was one of the Sharks' best players. So, yeah, I, I think. Some of the details for Edmonton, and I think the Sharks are good enough at the margins, much like that Ducks team that upset them in 08-09, you know, and frankly, I think that's really the, the best comparison, you know, in McClellan's first year, a team that, you know, maybe overachieved a little bit in terms of points. Certainly, you look at Edmonton's possession down the last the last 25 games of the season, and the last, you know, however well they played down the stretch was not indicative of how much they controlled the puck. Um, but you know, that, that ducks team had the depth at the margins that was better than the sharks. The sharks had the better top six, but the ducks had better depth and the depth is what killed the sharks in that series. Um, frankly, it was the top end too, because the ducks top guys were, you know, scoring and then the sharks top guys were cut down. So I think, I think the sharks are good enough that the margins where the Oilers like, especially, especially because that was, that was not the McDavid line caught there against hurdle on four on four the sharks are better better than the oilers at the margins where if the oilers marginal players are out there the sharks are going to take advantage and they're good enough to you know to win the game for them just as they did last night yeah yeah absolutely i think to me you know when i think about what's the most concerning thing for the sharks right now it's a couple things it's one flashing and braun aren't good two McDavid is still getting high quality scoring chances in three. Martin Jones is bad yeah. um, and has he been bad. He went on last night. He did not have a good start. No, no. Martin Jones didn't get better. That's inaccurate. I think what's actually happened is the Sharks allowed fewer shots on I goal. I think that's fair. And I, I think that's fair. It's a I different think. thing. And I, I know what you're getting at, but the first goal he, was terrible. That, he made a good save on McDavid on that breakaway. Eh, Mar- McDavid didn't get a great shot. Fair, but I I think here's what happened. He allows a terrible goal. The power play goal isn't well, great. The first, but the first goal deflected. I think the change in direction. No, nope. It, it, that's it, that's that's a poor excuse. He was passed. bomb was passed. I think, but he. Sh- I agree. He should have been. He in needs to be. Position. He needs to be down. He needs to yeah. be down. That's there's no excuse. He like, should he be. Should've... Yeah, his eyes were not on. His eyes had already moved to the pass instead of right. Like I agree that the 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 goal the the shot is deflected, but he should be down. Right. 
he should be like down. Slemko it, made it shouldn't the right matter. Play trying to block the pass. Agreed. Like he should be, he should he be down on that be, shot. The power play goal is not his fault. He shouldn't have maybe oh full out, but like he was the right idea. Of, but then Jones yeah, couldn't get a read on it. Right, he should be down on that first goal. The power play goal is not his fault. No, um, he's bailed out by the fact that that uh, breakaway shot. Yes, is yeah. The 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 guy uh, still got even for a shot breaking. I was surprised. I'm like, he got pretty good wood for the shot for the stick breaking mid shot. Uh, man, like wow. he still that was a that was a, was a huge shot. break. He did. Um, um, McDavid doesn't get a good shot on that. Not that either of those would have been Jones' fault, obviously. But no. you know, Jones wasn't really challenged. I don't think really the rest. But of the he night. needs to be. He needs to be better in game two. And if he, right, and, if, and then, listen, I. My point isn't so much that Jones needs um, – that Jones was terrible the rest no. of the way. It's that the Sharks need him to be great. Yes. And so my point isn't that, oh, man, Jones is bad and the Sharks are going to lose because of Jones. It's that if the Sharks are going to win, it's going to be, be because Jones is very him. good. Yeah. That's really what I'm getting at. It's not, oh, hey, the Sharks are going to lose because of Jones. No, if the Sharks win, it's going to probably be because Jones yeah, is going to be Jones very good. Yeah, huge. He's going to play a much bigger part in the first round than he did last year, I'd say, certainly. Right. That's really um, what I'm getting at. Right. And I think, and I think that's a fair. That's absolutely fair. I mean, he's got to, he's got to, uh, um, you know, he's got to put him on step the shoulders. Um, but hey, if I mean, if, and if if Jones can play better and. I mean, they're not going to be hopefully not trailing two goals, but like, if we can, I'm interested. I'm interested to see how tomorrow goes. I, I, I'm not expecting one team to you know get out to a lead before the other. Frankly, I think both teams are at a disadvantage in this series if they're playing with a lead. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think if you know if if Jones, if Jones, I'm certainly not expecting them to to get game two tomorrow. I think in a series like this, if you're the road team, if you get a split. You've done your job. Um, yeah, I don't I think, but I don't think the Sharks are going to necessarily do that. I think, and I think we've seen, you know, in every series last year, and it, it's a different team and a different run. But game two in LA, Sharks had already won the game, won game one. They win game two. Game two against Nashville at home, they win game two. Down one zero against St. Louis last year, they win game two. They didn't win game two in Pittsburgh, but they were much better in game two against Pittsburgh than they were in game one. Um, so I, I think. I think, and that's it. And I, I'd have to look back on his record uh, with New Jersey in Game Twos as well. But you know, I think DeBoer last year, you know, not breaking up Pollock and Dylan aside, I think showed that after a game in the series that he can get the leg up on the opposing coach and you know push the right buttons, so to speak. Uh, we'll see if that trend continues here. I just I think that's an encouraging. Uh, sign for the Sharks, but still would not. I don't expect them to win Game Two tomorrow. But if they do, uh, then they're in a very good position, I think, to win the series. Yeah, I feel not like, a hot take at all. But like, if you're no, up, two- I, I feel like once the, if they win Game Two, it's over. Um, just yeah. because I feel like it's very, very difficult for a team to to come back from a deficit like. Well, that. we've seen them do it certainly. I I feel like we've seen much better teams do it. The Oilers. The thing is, is that the Oilers aren't good. Um, right. And I feel like the reason I picked against the Sharks is that the Sharks aren't good. It's because right the Sharks have been playing so poorly. Right. Like if the Sharks, if the Sharks were healthy, right. even if they played that poorly, I'm probably picking the Sharks in seven because right. like they struggled, but like they're healthy. Right. If they weren't healthy but they were playing better, I'm probably picking the Sharks in seven. Right. It was right. the perfect storm that ensured 
an Oilers in six pick. But like, I mean, this last night was the blueprint I would have expected the series to follow. Like, you know, they relatively contain McDavid and the depth players outplay Edmonton's. We just didn't get the Martin Jones goaltend. Right. So like, we'll see if the, if the Oilers correct course and play, like I think that they can play and they win the game. It's like, okay, right. This is the Oilers. I, I expected to see. Right. And Martin Jones plays like shit. And uh, Couture continues to play poorly. We don't see Joe Thornton play. It's like, okay, right. Then we're right back on course for what I expected. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm not really all that concerned because I don't really care if the Sharks win this series or not because, you know, I'm not really that concerned about what the Sharks do at all because I don't think this is a team that can win a Stanley Cup and that's really all, all yeah. I'm really, I really care I, about I, I, in the long the way, the, they've played, the way they've played lately with the injuries they have, that's – I think that's a fair – that's absolutely a fair baseline. Um, you know, the the hope, of course, is, you know, that they can – and I don't think this is not you and nor is it me saying that we hope they lose. This is like, we would both, we both, nobody hopes we're wrong on our series predictions more than us. I would say uh, for the, for the Oilers and say, well, neither of us are going to be like, Oh man, the Oilers lost. And now we're wrong. Like no one's going to take our takes seriously. Like that's not where we're coming from. People don't take our takes seriously to begin with. Um, My mom is going to be so upset, <laughs> but I think, you know, I think game two is, I wouldn't say it's super pivotal, but like, I'd honestly say it's maybe even more important than when, like now that you're up 1-0, winning game two, if you're San Jose is even more important than winning game one was, um, if you were, if you were tied 0-0, because I think, you know, you can put the pressure on them. And another thing too, when we got to talk about Todd, with the Sharks, he never really came back from a huge deficit in a series. Like the most his teams got down was one game. Uh, they were down 2-1 against the Colorado Avalanche after they dominated the Avalanche and Dan Boyle's shot or pass, excuse me, behind the net, redirected off Ryan O'Reilly's stick through of getting a Bokov's five hole and they lost in whatever overtime that was. But then they rattle off three straight. Um, but when McClellan's teams get down 2 nothing, I believe with the Sharks, I don't think he won a single series when the Sharks got down 2 nothing. Anaheim didn't win. Chicago, they got down 2 nothing. They got swept. Vancouver, they got down 2 nothing. They lost four games to one. Uh, and then LA, when they went to seven games in 2012-13, they got down 2 nothing. They could only win three of the last uh, three of the last five as opposed to four. Yep. We should talk about Joe Thornton, though. Um, what do you think is the I mean, I don't think he's I don't think I think the fact that he did not play last night indicates that he's not as ready as maybe was written about uh, and was. What do you mean written about? You mean as he's talked about? <laughs> as he said. No, don't, 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 don't give, don't give that idiot any excuse. I didn't, I didn't. But, 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 I, no, I will, I will go on record as saying, because that's what he is. He said, this is yeah. direct quote from I'm Joe Thornton. I'm going to play game one. This is a part of the problem of, of, of the culture that yeah. Joe Thornton is a part of, yeah. is that he said he was ready to play game one. Then he wasn't. He was not ready to play game one. Yeah. He wasn't ready to play. And, and this, him, is, this is part skate. of the problem. I didn't see him skate in the footage, other than the footage that we saw that some said people, he looked awesome. <laughs> Where he looked absolutely terrible. Right. right. Terrible. But... I, but the writers at the practices said that he looked pretty good. 
Look, I, I would imagine he's working towards a return. I don't see him coming back before game two. The question yeah. is, if he does come back, Ugh. where do you use him? Because who knows? Yeah, do you use him in the Marlins? Mean, that's speculative, right? But I, I think I think if I think I don't know. I think you have to be if he. I don't expect him to come back this series, but if he can and he can be effective, two huge ifs. The way Hurdle's played has given the Sharks some flexibility as to where they can use Thornton when he comes back. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like you got to put him. You got to put him on the top line again, right? You think so? Because I was I thinking know. you might have him in a sheltered third line, give him some skilled, you know, young, some skilled young wingers, and see how he can do against. Especially if you know, if the Couture line can continue to at least tread water. I mean, listen. I guess if you put him on the third line, then you put him on the, as the third line center, and you put him with uh, what? You put him with Marlowe as a winger. Yeah. And then finally, we get to send Sorensen out of the lineup, and <laughs> I I can finally be happy again. He did he did play well with Tierney and, and Meyer last night, but I I think well yes if the I Sharks mean, are, if the Sharks are to really well. take advantage of the depth, I think playing LeBanc with Tierney and Meyer on a you know because you know I think LeBanc can muck. We saw him do it with Ryan Carpenter and Michael Haley. He can play that cycle game. He can play in the corners. He can play. He can also score, which and I, and I think do. that fourth look that fourth line is going to eat Edmonton's alive. They're already doing it with yeah. Sorensen on the wing. If you throw LeBanc there, like you're really exploiting the matchup. And I think if you're the Sharks, you got to make your you got to optimize the bottom six. But so far, Sorensen hasn't hurt them, and I think that that fourth their fourth the crazy thing is Sorensen's playing there. Their fourth line is still leaps and bounds better than the Oilers' fourth line. I don't know if that still be the case if you put Michael Haley there, but I suspect it might be. Yeah, I mean, listen, Michael Haley can score better than uh, almost anybody on the uh, on the Oilers' fourth line. I, I would venture to guess. Drake, I mean, Drake Caligula, Caligula, like Caligula, Caligula. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's there. He exists. That's about anything you could say for almost any uh, uh, Canadian fourth liner yeah so listen i mean the thing is it's not oh go ahead sorry uh, i don't think so uh no wait how about that hurdle hit though that's from arco eagle it's one of my it's the best hit of all time yeah that was a great hit i was a big fan of that Uh, i'm still I'm, i'm i'm still feeling the impact from that hit uh can get uh can get could get uh, I have a lot of feelings about that hit. Um, Positive, strong, physical feelings. I'm, I'm sorry to have interrupted you, though. Please continue your thoughts. Kevin Bank has uh, 0.36 points per game. Uh, Marcus Sorensen has 0.21 points per game. Yeah, and I, I think you, gotta, you, put him in, you put him in the bottom six, and you. I think I certainly think that's a change they make if they lose game three or game two. I think that's a change that they. I think they they looked especially especially on home ice if you can get. He's going to have last change, and he could get Tierney, LeBanc, and Meyer out against Mark Letestu's line. Like, you know, I mean, I, I still don't understand how Mark Letestu's getting power play time. It's just beyond, like, beyond me. Can you believe Mark Letestu is still in the NHL? I mean, it's just baffling. And that's the amazing thing is, like, McDavid's still on his rookie deal, and all these guys are still on their cheap deals, and, like, that's the bottom six they have around Connor McDavid. 
know what's baffling to me is that Redeem Verbata played for the Arizona Coyotes this year. Yeah. That guy could do a job for this Edmonton Oilers he can help team. That he was available. Yeah. Like, he could have helped the Sharks, for Christ's sake. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of guys have. And, you know, well, I mean, like, Hanson's been helping the Sharks. He's Him and Hurdle have been an excellent, excellent combination together. And Bodker's just, you know, kind of there for the ride. But uh, Hurdle and Hanson have developed some nice ca- chemistry. The, the check hey, and balance line. I saw, that, uh, I saw that really incredible lip-reading video between Hanson and Bodker. And I feel like that's really helped both of them. Excel for the shark. There's a lip reading video. You haven't seen it? Did they do the one with the headphones where they're trying to yeah, like? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, gonna be really... great. I gotta watch that. That's no, it's very good. You should watch it. Yeah, that's it's, uh, no, it's not as good obviously as the um, hurdle and wingles one, which no, will make you cry if you watch it. Obviously, um, we got. I've watched it. Wingles. We got. I've we watched it post trade. We got to talk about whoever is running the Ottawa Senators Twitter account. And what they were thinking. Oh, okay. so, no, I haven't. What are we talking about? The you didn't see the senators tweet. No. When they said like the Bruins didn't attempt. Wait, to- whoever it is, it's not as good as whoever, and I don't know who it is that runs the, the senators. Sanity Sharks the senators account, feet, tweeted, but that person's better. The senators account tweeted last night. The senators account. The, we held the Bruins without mm-hmm. a shot on goal in the second period. Can someone in the advanced stats community tell us if that's good? You didn't see that? Um, I did see that tweet. Um, can someone tell me in the event test community if winning the game is good or no, bad? I, I just want to address how much of a self-own this is on how many levels. The criticism of Ottawa all year is that they're a bad puck possession team. They are bad. They get puck possession. And what did they say? Hey, you know that thing we critic you criticized us for? Well, we did it. Can you tell us if that's good or not? It's like what? Like, at least you could have said, "Oh, we're up a goal." Like, can they tell us if that's good? Like that, I get. But rhetorically, as an attack, it's like, "Hey, man, like, eat it, nerds. Like, we did the thing you told us we should do, and it worked." But like, you guys are idiots. Like, what was hey. that about? And then they lost. Hey, uh, then they lost. And then the, the Sharks tweeted last night when they had a huge possession edge. They're like, the shots are 31 to whatever. They're like, punches numbers into calculator. That's good. I don't know who it is that runs the Sharks' Twitter feed, but I hear that that person is really good at their job. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Um, yeah, the, the Senators account, not so much. And just what an incredible cell phone. What an incredible. It turns out just another thing in Ottawa that sucks. Wow. The year twenty seventeen is the year of the cell phone. That's what I've You know what? Listen, in fairness, it's probably just because Eugene Melnick wouldn't pay somebody to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's gonna go against our cap hit. That's what that's what we were waiting for. That's what we were waiting for. Thanks guys. We're gonna be here all night, all series long. Do you have a game two prediction? prediction i predict that uh tom tomas hurdle is going to score another goal oh man that'd be nice i think the oilers i think the oilers win three to two i think it's another one goal game but tomas is going to score so i don't give a shit i think they get i think they get up two goals the sharks pull back a second and then they come back to san jose uh with the series knotted up at one but if they do win 
the series and go up two games to none, I will feel a heck of a lot better about their chances uh, than I do. But still, they're—I mean—they're in a great spot. It was a good win. It was a good win last night. Uh, it was good to see. Nice to see the milkman deliver. Uh, as don't say that. As many, up, many, Randy. many, many, many folks have noted. Um, what did you think of the USA call last night? I'm intrigued. How was how was Mike Johnson as a color guy? Because he's uh, he's pretty woke to the advanced stats community. Uh, honestly, I I wasn't listening. I was too busy That's laughing and saying uh, "suck at Edmonton." <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, I think my reaction. Uh, yeah, my brother is actually home from uh for, home from college for the weekend, so we were watching it together. And uh, our reaction. So when uh, we have this actually tradition, because um, we watch all the playoff games, you know, we as we have uh, this is his first year away at college, um, and so it's, it's actually pretty cool that we're getting to watch these games together. It's actually a pretty cool thing. And so, so during the during overtime games, we usually get uh, get get uh, a, a drink. And so, so when. Uh, <laughs> When well, so we go so when uh, Carlson comes across the line, I, I thought it was offside. It's like, oh my god, he's offside, and he scores it. And I just started laughing. I said, "Ah, suck it, Edmonton!" And uh, that that was basically it. That that was that was. I didn't even hear hear what the guy said, so I still haven't heard the USA. You still haven't US, heard the call. That's great. I still haven't heard the call. I have no I have no idea what he said. Yeah. So, I, uh, that, that was my call. Of the goal. Sharks beat the Oilers off the rush last night. Just as just as we all expected. I mean, what a yeah, absolutely, what a terrible exactly. line change. And I I think the hope, and I think part of the hope, and maybe we underestimated it, and I hope we've hit on it tonight, is that the the McClellaning of the Oilers continues because if it does, <laughs> oh man, it's just uh, nice to see it from the other side. It's really nice after you know. After scratching, you know, not playing Tyler Kennedy, after playing Mike Brown six of the seven games against LA and other said decisions, you know, um, oh, it's 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 uh, it's fascinating to see from the other side. Uh, Tommy Wingles had three shots for uh, the Ottawa Senators in his uh, first playoff game. That's pretty good. Timmy Wongles. good for Tommy Wingles. Timmy Wongles had a pretty good game. He had a. Did he get credited with uh, how many hits did he get credited with? Wow, I, that looked like a hit. Well, anyway, good for him. Uh, Tomas Hurdle had seven shots on goal last night. By the way, he led all skaters, right? He did. He did. He's, uh, he's good, and I, I mean, frankly, you know, even if the Sharks don't advance, if if they're take if they don't advance, but their takeaway from the series is. Tomas Hurdle has arrived. Uh, that puts them in a in a much better spot uh, organizationally than they may have been otherwise. So there's, you know, there will still be. For to me, that's a huge that's a huge positive. Um, yep. If the takeaway from this series is, oh hey, by the way, Tomas Hurdle, Timo Meyer, and Yunus Donskoy are actually good. Yeah, that's still pretty good. Yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, but you know, if if they win, if they win tomorrow, I like their chances a lot more. And even if they don't win tomorrow, they still got two games at home. The tank will be rocking. Uh, that's that'll I'm be willing. A, I mean, relatively speaking, it'll be it'll be a fun. I think it'll be a fun series. It's uh, it was a fun game last seek night. What's up? We'll be playing. What's up? Yeah, seek and destroy. Oh yeah, big time. I, I wanted to ask your opinion. Uh, my brother and I were talking about this. I want to make it clear that this is not like some weird like uh, gendered thing. Um, 
Rogers Place, they had uh had some had some pom poms handed out. Uh, Sharks do that sometimes. Uh, is that, so that's a thing then. I had never seen noticed that before. Yeah, that's, that's a, a thing. thing. It's either rally. To the, I have so many sharks pom poms that like instead of a rally um, towel, like it's the same. I've thing. never noticed that before. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's a thing. All right. It's hard. Enough. I mean, I think the distinction's hard to make on television when the when you know, um, the rally towel is that's what you got to go with. But you know, yeah. yeah I guess maybe because five hundred million dollar publicly because they're orange that they stuck out. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Okay. The so that's a publicly funded arena that doesn't have enough bathrooms, which is just amazing. Honestly, that's like the least surprising thing in the entire world. I mean, I've been to plenty of parks without enough. Uh... That's why San Francisco smells like urine all the time. <laughs> I just think a publicly funded. Fu- fun- show everybody. Publicly funded sports arena that doesn't have enough bathrooms, and they. You see that they were selling concourse level tickets so you can oh, watch yeah. on television. Like, come on. Hey, hey. Come on, baby. That's in uh in ten years when we're doing this podcast about uh the Sharks and Warriors new arena in San Francisco and we're complaining about it. Can you wait? I can't wait. It's gotta so, be happening, baby. Standing room only can't wait. Please. Eat my the dick hustle. Spoilers just you know, public ripping off the city of Edmonton. Their owner's a scumbag. Like they you know, I they Get don't the arena you deserve. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Um Yep. Yeah, so when are we gonna do this next? Should we do one after game two? Absolutely. Can't wait. Okay. Till then you can follow Marcus White on Twitter at Marcus P White. You can follow me on Twitter at Jake Sundstrom. Don't slip into our mentions, please. You can follow you can uh slip into my mentions, guys. <laughs> that was uh, a really terrible <laughs> wink. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at FearTheFin. Slide into those DMs anytime. Uh, hashtag content at FearTheFin.com. As always. We're going to have a game tomorrow night. It's going to be at 7.30 Pacific time. It's going to be on NBC Sports or NBC Sports Bay Area if you live in the Bay Area, like Marcus White may or may not. Bay Area. I don't know where he lives. Um, that's going to be the show. You can uh, check us out on iTunes if uh, that's your leisure domain. Feel the fan on iTunes. All right, NBC guys. Sports California in the Bay Area. NBC Sports California. Is that what it is? What it is. Yeah, because they have two networks. They have NBC Sports Bay Area, which has the Warriors, the Giants. Then there's NBC Sports California, which has the Sharks and the A's. Oh, son of a bitch. And then the Earthquakes play on both. I have the wrong logo on the whatever <laughs> I, I i hate these conglomerates whatever i don't care we'll talk to you guys later